was watching Netflix, hanging out. The telephone rang, and they said, can you be here by midnight? We may have a liver for you, and you need to be on the table ready to go by 6 a.m. Wow. And that's something to wrap your head around. Uh, there's Someone has to die for me to live. Thank you for joining me for the first episode of Conversations with James Shannon, Success After Tragedy. Today's guest and I have something in common. We both stutter. I took speech classes all throughout grade school and it helped a lot, but there's still certain words that I struggle to say. Today's guest has experienced a lot more than having a stutter issue. It seemed like Death really wanted to take him, but he managed to escape on more than just one occasion. Here's my conversation with Rich Bontrager. He should have died three times. Today's guest has spent 25 years of his life helping people to defy the odds. I'm happy to welcome leadership, life coach, and speaker Rich Bontrager, a.k.a. Trigger, to the show. Thanks for agreeing to have a conversation with me, Trigger. Hey, thanks for uh, letting me come on. I really appreciate it and uh, love doing these things, especially more and more since the virtual world is now the real world, I guess, right? Right. Yes, we all live, well, we always lived in our homes, but we all live in our homes online now. So it's like, I don't see faces. I just see computer screens, you know, (laughs) I think more and more people are learning that, and it's not as scary as what people think it was. I, I've talked to a lot of people, and I'm sure you have too, James, that uh, this is not as freaky weird as they thought it was going to be. Yeah. In the beginning, a lot of people, they seemed like they were afraid to do this. But once you get started and you get used to it, it becomes like, oh, this is not that bad. Certain tasks, I prefer to do it this way than the previous way, so... I, I think it will become more natural to people. And I, I'm wondering how many people have a hard time going back to the way it was. Today, today I saw a, a post that actually said, I don't know if I'll ever shake another hand again. <laughs> <laughs> trick, so I want to go back to the very, very beginning in Indiana. Um, I know your mom stuttered and you were born with a bad stutter, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, my mom's stutter is still to this day far worse than mine. Um, I've learned some uh, tricks along the way. I've learned some things that I now like to give back and share with people. Uh, but the funny thing is when I talk to my mom on the phone, um, my fiance and my friends actually know that I talk to her because it trips me up and brings my stutter back stronger by talking to her. So it's, it's still very much there, but not quite the same. As a child, I always had a very bad stutter and I had to take speech class. And even to this day, it's still there. And my twin and brother, he also stutters. So just like you and your mom, when we talk, people, they, they just stare at us like, what are you guys saying? And <laughs> <laughs> Now, that's really unusual because I've read a lot about stuttering and siblings usually don't share this. That's really unusual for you and your twin brother to share that. Yeah, we both stutter, we mumble, we talk very fast. I like to think I talk better than him because I left the speech class before he did. But yeah, I mean, it's still a lot of words that neither one of us can say. Like, it's funny because with you, your name being Trigger and Bond Trigger, words that have T-R, I can't say for the life of me. So I say them really fast on purpose so people won't know what I'm saying, but they still catch it. So Well, and that's one of those tips and tricks that I tell people. Uh, there are letters uh, that get people. It's funny, my parents named me Richard Gone, and Richard is hard for me. The R's are really hard. 
So I've had to learn to introduce myself first. I found out if I go first and say, hi, I'm Rich Bontrager, it's much easier because I'm controlling the conversation. But if they say, hi, I'm Steve, who are you? My mouth falls all apart, right, when I say Richard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and for me, I don't like to begin any sentences that begin with the with the letter M because I will go mm, for a long time and I can never get it out. So if I'm going to say anything that begins with an M, I'll say it in the middle of a sentence or I'll, I'll do a pause to try to help me, you know, catch up. I, I, I don't know. It's just like you said, it's little tricks that I learned throughout the, the years. Exactly. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation because I feel like a lot of people, they don't understand how it is to live with a stutter or any kind of speech impediment. And they just think like people will always give you tips. Oh, just slow down or just think or don't think like you don't know that your tricks don't work for me. So you, you don't understand how it is to <laughs> live like this. Well, and, and I actually just did a talk on this uh, in front of a live crowd. And I, I explained that I cut and paste like you do with your computer. But my brain does it all the time in the middle of a sentence. I will change a word. I will change a sentence structure. 90% of the time, you will not know that I changed in mid-frame, but my brain is always cutting and pasting to avoid those R's or those T's or whatever it is. So, yeah, James, you're absolutely right. People don't understand we're wired different because we've had to learn to be different to make it in this world. Exactly. Now, something else that you experienced that I've never experienced is almost dying three times. I know you survived a fire at the age of 10. Can you, can you tell me about that? Yeah, um, so it was the week before Halloween. We were on one of those uh, teacher breaks. Teachers have those days and the students get out. Uh, my older brother was actually in my garage in Indiana trying to make gunpowder. First of all, I realized that's not the smartest thing in the world to do either, but he was trying to make gunpowder and I picked up a bottle that was not labeled and it was open. I thought it was water. He had a Bunsen burner and uh, I walked toward it and the fumes of the alcohol caught on fire in midair, went into the bottle and blew up. And I basically became the human torch. Whoa. Ran to the garage. My brother put me out. We're both boy scouts. So he knew how to kick, roll, tuck, put me out. And then I spent six weeks in the hospital recovering from third degree burns uh, on part of my body, second degree burns on my face and first degree burns on my chest. The burns don't show up that much. The skin graft I had at age 12 didn't work well. So my right leg looks a little bit funny when I wear shorts. But yeah, that was very scary to be in the hospital, uh, do that at age 10. It, 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 was, it was one of those things that, again, about defying the odds that I talked about, you have to get back up and go again. And as a 10-year-old, uh, it's really hard to sit on the bench. So I was very active in sports. I couldn't play football. I couldn't play basketball. I couldn't do all the things I normally did because of the burn and the recovery time. So learning to be patient. Uh, was a big, big thing with that. My uh, imagination came more alive. I uh, read books, fell in love with Star Trek even more than I already was. I was a geek to begin with. But you you learn tricks and tips when you go through those traumatic events to keep yourself going forward. And uh, some people say it's a cop-out. I don't see it as a cop-out. I, I see it as something that's healthy and good. How are you around fire today? Funny you should ask that. For years, uh, I had issues with... Uh, I was a Boy Scout, and we're known for blowing things up and doing things on Boy Scout trips that boys should not be doing. Um, for a while, I did not participate in that. I actually got angry with my friends for doing it. 
now I like blowing things up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with that now. Gas stoves, however, I still have a little aversion to gas stoves. I just don't trust the piping, the plumbing, uh, and things like that. But overall, yeah, I've overcome that fear and phobia. But definitely there were several years where uh, I did not want to be around an open flame. I couldn't imagine. How was that for, for your brother or just for your family? Did it have an impact on them? It had a major impact on everybody. So going back to the day of the accident, they came, did their work on me. And when they rolled me out of the house, because all my friends were with me and my brother's friends were with him, uh, our neighbors were all very close. We all knew each other extremely well. Um, they rolled me out on a stretcher and had the blanket completely covering me because the open air burn in the air would oxidize and it would be like another emotional burn. Very, very painful. So they covered me up to keep me to get to the ambulance. I was told that my neighbors literally stood in their houses crying, thinking little Richie was dead. Whoa. And that stuck with everyone for a very long time. My brother, thankfully, knew what to do as a Boy Scout. My mom knew what to do with some first aid and helped to take care of me very quickly. My father hated hospitals, hated them. And because I was in a reverse isolation, so you have to scrub in and scrub out uh, when you come to a burn ward like I was in. So he had to overcome a whole fear and phobia to come see his own son. Uh, and he covered up really well, but I heard after the fact that was one of those things that he and mom and the doctors had to walk through every day to say, you got to go in, you got to go do this. Your kid needs to see you. So, yeah, there was a lot of uh, traumatic results off of one tragic event. Wow. When I heard that you had survived a fire, I had no idea that it was like this. I'm glad that you're here with us today. That is whew, that's a tough one. Well, and, and the good outcome, believe it or not, there's always a good outcome. You have to look for it sometimes. I was not doing well in school because of my stutter. And again, you, you probably talk about this a lot in your programs, I'm sure, but people think we're dumb. They think we're just not with it all. In fact, I'm highly intelligent. I read incredibly well. I just could not get the reading out of my mouth. So I would stand up in school and read, uh, and kids would literally tease on me, and I'd run out of the room bawling. Uh, so it was very emotionally rough. Uh, so I was behind in school. I came out of the burn ward because the teacher came in every day, scrubbed in and scrubbed out, did homework with me. And I came out at the top of my class in the fourth grade because I had personal tutoring. And I came out with a whole different confidence because of that investment of that teacher. So it's amazing out of tragedy also how good things come as well. Yeah, you know, that's something else that we have in common. My reading is probably the best thing that I can do. And I think it was because I just spent so much time reading. Like I wouldn't play with the other kids. I would just sit there and I would just read books all day, even at home, because my cousins, they would make fun of me and my brother. So we would just go in our room and we would just read, read, read. And we were raised by my grandmother and she she never passed the seventh grade. So we would have to read everything for her. And I think that's what helped us. So it's like, but everybody, just like you said, everybody thought we were, we were dumb. We were always called, oh, you guys, you sound retarded. And it's like, um, okay, you can think that, but. No, it was quite the opposite. Right. No, and, and you know, that's one of the myths I try to break when I talk about my stutter, when I do the defy the odds. I let people know, in fact, we're highly intelligent. We're just trapped inside of our minds. Our mouth and our minds do not run at the same speed very often. And part of that is learning how to sync them up and get them in the same alignment. What did you read growing up? I'm, I'm kind of curious because usually stutterers 
it's it's kind of funny. We often read the same stuff. I found out. <laughs> so I know one of the uh, books that we read was uh, Huckleberry and Finn. Yeah, I was big in the Hardy Boys. Oh, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. Yes, read, read read those like crazy. I also fell in love with comic books. Part of my stutter and my ability to not communicate was I'm also very visually. My mind is a huge imaginary tool for me. And my grandmother literally used comic books because I loved the stories and the adventure. So she realized my imagination was a huge part of my overcoming my learning disabilities, as, as they called them back then. So she read Batman, Superman, and let me read them out loud in character voices to help me find my voice as a reader and communicator. And to this day, I still love comic books. Wow, that's awesome. Well, we used to read Goosebumps by R.L. Stein. Yes. I think I probably read every single one I can find as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was into superheroes. I didn't read the comics that much, but I did watch them on TV. Well, now they're all the craze. I was the original. Yes. Geek. <laughs> now people think it's cool, uh, but I was the original. <laughs> so you thankfully survived the fire. And something that I read was that on average, nearly two dozen people die a day while they wait for a transplant. And then in 2017, your wait was over. You had your liver transplant. So yeah you had to fight for your life again. What was going through your mind? Boy, that's a whole whacked out storyline. So I was in full-time church ministry, also as a sports broadcaster. So I have two careers going on at the same time. And again, the whole stutter thing, very funny. I've always gotten paid to be a public speaker and I stutter, but we accidentally found out. It was totally by surprise that I found out I had liver failure. My liver was 75% shot and dead. It was never going to come back. I was already, as the doctors told me when they diagnosed it, said, you're already a walking dead man. Your body just has not told you that. And your life needs to change right now. So I went home with my wife at the time that I was married to, and we sat down with our daughters and we explained, everything's got to change about what your dad does. And in 24 hours, we cleaned the cupboards to a low salt diet. We began beyond medicines. And that was a three-year decline of a very, very slow decline. I had to resign from my church ministry after a while just because of the emotion and just because of there's that fear of your energy. Uh, You lose more energy, and I'm the energizer bunny, uh, and I don't know when to stop. So part of my fear was I could literally die on stage. Uh, I, I could bleed out and have one of those terrible situations. So I actually stopped ministry, moved to Georgia. Uh, also went through a divorce at the same time, which was not good. I do not recommend liver failure and divorce at the same time. Don't do it. Um, so I moved to live with my brother in Georgia, went to the Mayo Clinic in Florida. And three years into it, uh, I was very, very close to the end. And they finally called me. On the same day, I had a checkup. I had gone to the Mayo Clinic in the morning, done my checkup, come home, was watching Netflix, hanging out. The telephone rang. And they say, can you be here by midnight? We may have a liver for you. And you need to be on the table ready to go by 6 a.m. Wow. And that's something to wrap your head around. Uh, there's Someone has to die for me to live. That is a mind that I, I can't even imagine thinking like that. Like, wow, I may live, but that means that somebody just passed. Yeah. And they actually do psych evaluation. They do a lot of things to prepare you for this. They take you through not just the medical tests. There's a huge emotional roller coaster of that and other things of your world changes. When I first arrived in Georgia, I went from five miles walking on the beach 
to less than a quarter of a mile walking around the pond in front of my brother's house. And that's all I could do every day. So you're, I mean, just like right now, we're locked inside. I actually learned how to be locked inside by going through my liver transplant. I think that's part of the reason I'm dealing with the coronavirus so well. I've already been through this before. Most people have not. It's not fun, but you can do it. Plus, you were going through your divorce at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it was all overlapping. So they want you to have a caregiver there. It's, it's a requirement of getting a transplant. You cannot do this alone. Be the recovery, the medications, everything, the checkups are just so much. You cannot do it alone. They won't let you. So my brother became my caregiver. My brother and I had not lived together since we lived in Indiana, since high school. Uh, and so here I am as a, this is, actually this month is three years almost to the date that we're speaking right now, James. Uh, and th this is almost three months of the year that I had the transplant. So we had not lived together since his senior year in high school. And he said, come, move in, and I'll take care of you. Is this the same brother with the fire? Or, I mean, do you have just one brother? Uh, actually, I have two brothers. This is the same one with the chemistry set. Oh, wow. Uh, and so, yeah, it was one of those things that I have nowhere to go. At that time, my whole family was kind of blown up a little bit from the divorce and all the situations. Thankfully, that's been restored and things are much, much better. But at the time, that was the place to go. And he opened up his entire life and brought me into his world and took me to doctor's appointments. Thankfully, I could drive. I could do 90% of everything I ever done in my life. But I slowed down and slowed down. Uh, I can remember painting the outside of his house together. And my energy was dropping and dropping. I got really frustrated because I can't do what I normally do at the same rate. Uh, and my brother came over and just stood there and let me vent, let me get it out. He was amazingly compassionate. And we now have a new brotherly bond that is far firmer than what we've ever had in our life. Again, a new blessing comes out of a horrible situation. My family's way tighter because they all had to invest in this time of sitting with me. And again, I was back in my room reading comic books, uh, doing things like I did with my burn, and I knew how to do it. So again, a lot of life comes back around full circles with my uh, crazy stories. That is so awesome just to have your brother there doing another low point where where you were going through something that a lot of us would never want to experience. So I'm glad that that you had him there. Now you're a, is it Unos Abas Ambassador, right? Yeah, Unos Ambassadors. I actually get to go and speak. I actually am looking for more opportunities to do this. One of the, one thing I love to do is because people need to know the highs, the lows, the good and the bad. They need to understand the investment of a family. They need to know about this is a lifelong, life-altering event. When they say a low-salt diet, they mean low-salt diet. You're, I, I got used to, jokingly, I call it gerbil food. It was very bland, very boring. Uh, <laughs> you get used to eating things you would never eat in your life because you can't have the salt. Because salt plugs up your system. It doesn't allow things to flow. Uh, your blood backs up, and there's all sorts of messy things that happen. So I actually go out and encourage people. And I also, I also want families and nurses and doctors to know they are the heroes because you can't go through it alone. Uh, the nurses and the doctors, just like right now we're talking about, you know, with the virus, the nurses and the doctors are, are the heroes. I had the best nurse in the world the opening night that I came. You know, she gives me my gown and changes in, so it's explaining everything. She jokingly said, you're mine. I own you. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and, and she did. Uh, and we had a great time with that type of sense of humor, but they set the stage to make it bearable because you're open up like a Christmas turkey put back together and 24 hours after plant 
transplant, James. They said, get out of bed and walk. Why? <laughs> That's usually the reaction right there. <laughs> yeah, there's tubes and there's everything because they want to see if everything is put back in your body right. They want to see if your body's going to function. So they force you to get up and start moving. Five days after transplant, I walked out of the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, hands-free, no apparatuses, no support, and uh, walked out to go to the hotel. That We had to stay in town for 30 days. You had, you had to stay close by. But I walked out hands-free with no help after only being in the hospital for four days from a transplant. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I said to them when they said, get out of bed and walk. Wow, like, are, are you kidding me? Wow. I, yeah, no, no, they, uh, they, uh, I had to transplant on Saturday, uh, Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon. They say, you need to get out of bed today and you, you need to walk. And I, I remember looking at them and I have every cord, every bell and whistle that you see in every movie and TV series. Uh, and I look at them and I said, you guys are pulling my leg. You, there's no way I'm getting out of this bed. And they said, no, you have to. And so I slid out of bed, and that was the most excruciating pain I've ever experienced in my life. Grabbed my little pole, grabbed a little walker. My mom grabbed the pole, and she walked beside me. I didn't do a full lap around the nurse's station. I didn't do anything major. They just wanted to see you move and shake the body and see how things had set. Uh, and then they slid me back in bed. So I probably took 15 steps. But to them, that was, like, the most boldest, bravest thing to do. So they they cheer they clap they challenge you and uh, yeah it's been an amazing ride so that's why i speak and share that's why i want families to know this is what you're getting into that's awesome who stayed those 30 days with you so my mom flew in from arizona uh my brother had to keep on working so he was in georgia i was in florida because we were an hour difference from hospital to home so i had lived with them for two years at that point uh, when the transplant came down uh, and I needed a 24-hour caregiver. So my mom hopped a plane, flew in, and stayed with me for over 30 days in a hotel room, changed my bandages, walked with me, fed me. I had to take pills, 14 different pills, three times a day when you first start. And she made sure that I took every pill properly at the right time in the right order. I had to take my blood pressure. I had to take my different stats and studies so we could go in the doctor every day back to the Mayo Clinic and sit down and they had to review you every day to make sure you're tracking, there's no infection, uh, no nothing. So my mom became my caregiver. I love family, that is amazing. So Trigger, today you're sharing your story with the world. Um, I know you speak to people in, in uh, halfway houses and recovery centers. What is it about them that you enjoy? Unknown to me, I now relate to their challenges. Uh, when, I, when I first began, it came out of my church ministry, I fell in love with people that are overcomers. And if you ever know addiction, uh, addiction recovery people, uh, people that have come out of prison, there's a lot of challenges. They're behind the eight ball in so many ways by poor choices they've made or situations that they got caught up in. So I've sat in a lot of recovery rooms. I've sat in a lot of uh, jail cells and talked with people and they want someone to believe in them. And so I, I talk about there's gold in everybody. There is gold still within you. And my job is to help mine it, to dig for it, to find it, so you can see it again, start believing in yourself again. And when you find the gold, you'll realize, I can live again. I have made bad choices. I must deal with those choices. But I can overcome. I can defy the odds. And there's something still good within me. 
it's amazing what happens when people finally start believing in that. Uh, the light bulb goes on, their smile comes back, they start dressing better, they do their hair better. And I have fallen in love with these people that a lot of society writes off. I, I, I just don't believe in that. I just don't believe we should write them off. In fact, I believe we should invest in them to help them find their way back. And they're, they're not people I just serve. They have become people that I've had in my house for Christmas, for Thanksgiving, their family, their friends. They've uh, hung out with my daughters and they have become uh, real, real close people. So it's amazing to see people come back from those terrible cases in life. You and I have had the struggle with stuff with our stutter. We've, we've been the cast aside rejects probably. And now I enjoy seeing those people come back to full life again. Thank you for saying that because as we speak, my twin brother, he's in prison right now for a bad decision. He had a DUI and then I tell him all the time, like a lot of people in the world are going to write you off. And I've been incarcerated. This is a cycle that we need to start repeating, but we don't want to be another stat and make people believe that are we, are we going to be just Joe Bird? So I'm glad that there are people that view people like him or people that's been in prison or addicts or, or whatever they're going through and can accept them for who they are and not judge them by some bad decisions that they made. Now, everybody that's been locked up, I'm not saying everybody's good. There are some bad people, but everybody that's been incarcerated is not a bad person. No, and one of the stigmas is usually they have tattoos. A lot of people freak out because they're afraid. I actually talk with people and say, tell me your story about your tattoo. 90% of the time, there's a story to go with the tattoo. Yep. And when you ask them that question, it's amazing. They smile because they realize you're not afraid of them. And they will tell you their story about why they picked that tat. And it's one of the amazing mysteries of something I stumbled upon. And I, and I realized that's the gateway. That's, that's the beginning opening of a real conversation to open, to find that gold back in. So I love it. I love, some people will say broken, cast off, rejects, whatever. I just see them as amazing human beings that uh, I get the pleasure of hanging with and stand up and cheer for. You're awesome for that. Where else do you speak? Really, I'm speaking on leadership a lot, leadership and public speaking. Uh, leadership and public speaking are forever tied together. To be a great leader, you must be a great public speaker. You could probably think of several that are leaders that really stink. I could name them too. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also leaders that do not realize they need to be better with their communication, both from the stage and in their offices. Communication is not just the microphone. Communication is in your office your uh, staff, whatever, it's communication is much larger than that. Uh, also, there are, le uh, there, there are speakers that also have to give back more. They have to learn how to use that to leverage for a better world and a better community. I really believe in leadership communication are going to go together with that. So I, I coach people on how to get up on stage, how to present. Currently, I'm doing that virtually since we're all now virtually locked down. I'm going to be doing a webinar tomorrow night, in fact, talking about how to rock it, how to nail it on the virtual stage, how to do these Zoom calls, how to do these interviews, these podcasts, uh, not just do it stiff and boring, but make them really fun and exciting like the big stages. People want to be on the big stage. They love the big crowd. We can still do that through our computers, through our laptops. Uh, we can do it virtually and make it just as great. And I love helping people do that. Speaking of the stage, I saw you on stage and you said something that that I love. You said care more, risk more, dream more. I'm actually going to get that put on my wall. I can send you one of my wrist cards. Oh, trigger. I would love that. <laughs> yeah, you got it, man. 
Oh, you are amazing. <laughs> tell your daughters, tell your brother, tell your mom that they are lucky to have you. And um, speaking of daughters, how many kids do you have? I have, I have three daughters. I have one that's married uh, with four amazing grandchildren. In fact, I just did a, a Zoom call with them. I just did a FaceTime with them. And I had a great time playing on the phone and being Papa. And then I have twin daughters right now. Again, you had mentioned being a twin, so it was fun to hear that. I have twin daughters, and they're both rocking it. They're both in uh, post-grad work right now. One's going to become a doctor. Awesome. So they're all wrapped up right now. Uh, one's going to go into full-time Christian education, following her daddy's footsteps a little bit. And I cannot be more proud of my three daughters. They are just amazing. I come from an all-boy family, all guys. Uh, and so... I tell people God has a very great sense of humor because he gave me three daughters and I had known nothing about pigtails or ponytails <laughs> or anything. <laughs> that is crazy because I have three daughters and my mom had all boys. <laughs> <laughs> so you totally know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, my mom, she actually gave me up when I was two. So I don't really have a relationship with her, but that's a completely different story. But yeah, it's just, yeah, I know exactly how it is to ha have three daughters and I didn't know anything about pigtails barbies pink anything so yeah i spent more time at dance recitals and dance team than i did anywhere so i would go do a football or basketball game and then i would hustle over and go see my kids in a dance competition uh so i was always in a gymnasium whether i was working it or i was cheering them i was always in a gymnasium awesome awesome how they deal with the transplant or the delivery issues we were in the middle of the divorce and it was really one of the it, it was really hard to me not to have that family with me and it, they were pull back. They were caught between mom and dad. And uh, we tried to conduct ourselves the best we can. We didn't want to be an ugly divorce and so forth. But at the same time, girls stick with girls. Mom is still mom. Uh, and so at that point, they needed mom. They needed the comfort. And I honestly could not be that dad. I, I could not be emotionally, physically that father at that time. So they did retreat. One of them hung out a little bit more than anybody else. But now uh, they have all come back around. We are all talking, emailing. In fact, my phone blows up every couple of days with another text, another picture. Uh, but it was a restoration process. It was part of the healing, not just of my physical body, but of the emotional spirit and family as well. So that's been part of the changes. Uh, I'm currently engaged to a beautiful lady. Uh, and my daughters have fully embraced uh, my new love and my new life. And they're Connect, uh, connecting with her. So it's been a whole shift from a, a pretty dark, miserable time in my life to uh, an ever-expanding, larger family now. That is so important to come from everything that you've been through. It's more than just you almost dying three times. It's dealing with the, the stuttering and the divorce. And it's true when you say that no matter what is going on in your life, there is hope that you can live a full life. Exactly. And, and that's why my message is about defining the odds. I don't care if it's my main, my main three areas of life, leadership, and public speaking. I want to help people defy the odds in those areas because I've gone through it personally. Again, I believe you can come back. I believe you can be restored. And I believe there's more in the human spirit than we limit ourselves to. Instead of saying, I can't, I believe we can. It's just how you get there. It's not always the same way for everybody but I love helping people defy the odds and figure out how to get there. So where can people find out more about you? Yeah, they can uh, find me at richbontrager.net. That's my main website. It has all the links to Facebook, Twitter, all the other places as well. If you want to join me, 
you, you can find me on Facebook, Rich Trigger Bond Trigger, and I will be doing that live webinar tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday. It's going to be 4 o'clock Mountain Time, and I'm going to be talking about how to rock it on the virtual stage for speakers, leaders, for podcasters like yourself. This is a huge, huge thing. So I want to share from my 25 years as a broadcaster to help people uh, rock it and do much better. So if you want to find me that way, I'll be hanging out on Facebook uh, tomorrow night. Well, I will definitely be there. This show is not going to air yet, but I'm going to let as many people as I know possible. So, because um, that's that's something that we hope out a lot of people. And I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask too: Is this something that you think would be beneficial for people that don't speak live on stage? Yeah, and and this is always my standing offer. Uh, if anyone wants a 30 minute free consultation uh, on leadership, on speaking, if if someone just happens to deal with a stuttering issue and they want some encouragement, they want some help of how to do this thing better, please, you can reach out to me through my website. My email's up there, rich at richbontrager.net. But you can reach out and you get a 30-minute free consultation lined up with me. And I would love to uh, hear what your needs and hear what I can do to help you uh, take it to the next level. All right, Rich, I definitely appreciate that. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Maybe something we didn't cover or... Well, I just want to say that I appreciate uh, what you're doing. When I read your bio, when you and I first looked up and I looked at it, and to put yourself out there, put your bio out there as someone who stutters and you're doing these podcasts and using this platform, I just want to applaud you because you're not hiding it. You're not trying to avoid it. You're actually presenting it up front for people. And I just want to say thank you because a lot of people, there's a lot of people that stutter. Um, Julia Roberts and her brother both stutter. Shaquille Jones. Stutters. There's a lot of people that stutter that hide it, but you are not. So thank you. Yeah. What happened was uh, because the way I talk, even as an adult at my job, people will laugh at me. So I always wanted to do a podcast, but I was afraid of because of how I speak. And some people would say, well, maybe you can help other people that speak like you or similar issues. And I know what, maybe I will. And then that's why I wanted to do this show, because I may have issues with how I grew up. And I know there's other people that have stories to tell and there's people that are afraid to tell their stories. Like you said, Julia Roberts or people that hide from anything that happened to them in their past. So maybe they hear other people like you that have experienced things that you've experienced or other people that come onto the show. Maybe it will help them or inspire them. And that's the purpose of this. And that's why I'm thankful to have you on the show to share your story and to show that you live in a, a life and you're happy now. You're engaged and it's like he went through all these things where he thought he was going to die almost died should have been dead three times and now look you know so whatever people are going through you're you're proof that your life can get better life is a great adventure i still believe that even though i've gone through all these different things life is a great adventure just go live it go enjoy it embrace it and again i i think we can go far farther than what people imagine we can go i was told by my broadcasting professor you'll never make it no one's going to hire you he laughs about that now. He looks back and goes, I, I remember telling you no, and look at you 25 years later. So if you're one of those people out there, if, if you're not sure, take another step forward. You can do it. Defy the odds. Step out and uh, best wishes to you. Yes, you have defied the odds from stuttering to the stage. I appreciate you. Thank you much, Jim. Really appreciate being on today. Rich, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was very special to me because we both share that that common speech issue. 
So I knew from the moment that I met you that we were going to record the first episode of Conversations with James Shannon. And for a long time, I didn't even want to do a podcast because I felt like the comments would be flooded with people talking about my speech problem. All of my life, I would just shut up and listen because I was afraid of talking. And now I feel like I have the listening skills that would be useful for hosting my own podcast. So again, Rich, thank you for sharing your story and how you were able to recover. It's crazy to imagine having a bad liver and having to change your life like that. You lost so much, but found a way to fight back and bless all of us with hope. You can find Rich, aka Trigger, at richbontrigger.net and check out more at thejamesshannon.com slash one to get the links and everything mentioned in this episode. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll be talking to Kevin Hoffman about racism and how he, as a person of color, was raised in a white home. Don't forget to leave an honest comment, like, and subscribe. Talk to you later.